you know Billy Elliot, the film Billy Elliot? The dad yeah. is the villain in that film. Right. Andy Nelson right. reminds me of the villain, and we'll get to why uh, shortly. I keep um, trailing this, but it is the incident that makes up most of the first part of the book, or it, it leads up to that. Um, but I've just yeah. looked at the photo plates, and there you are with Pele. Um, yeah. Total pleasure to work with. No wonder they call him the king. Did he know who you were? Because he played in America oh. for a bit. Well, yeah, he stopped playing uh, when I arrived here by a year or two. So we didn't play against each other. And he was very nice. He said, as I remember you with the Chiefs, whether he did or not, yeah. it was very nice of him to say so. He, he was just a class act. And he was just a fun guy. Have you seen the Netflix documentary about him? No, I haven't. I'd like to see that. It exists. So, a lot of people say, well, there's not much mention of Brazilian politics in the 70s. Well, that's not the point. The point is, Pele yeah. was a great guy to market soccer, especially to the Americans. I think every American yeah. owes a debt to what Pele did. Oh, and... Absolutely. He, he, the guy drew thousands of people to the game, and they didn't know what they were watching, but they knew Pele was the greatest soccer player, and they wanted to see him. So that spoke, that spoke volumes. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, Franz Beckenbauer took, took his crown when he came and played, and I played against him. And Gerd Müller, a uh, West German lad, uh, he was the leading goal scorer in, a, in one of the World Cups back in 1990. Uh, yeah, you probably know better than me, but the guy could score goals. We we tied Fort Lauderdale, the team he played for, 3-3, and um, he scored all three goals against me. And all three goals were on the turn and he, he could hit a ball like a rocket. You didn't, you didn't even see the ball come back out of the net. That's why, <laughs> that's why they call him the bomber, dare bomber. That's right. That's right. So I mean, it was a wonderful experience playing against great players like him and Georgie Best. But uh, whose penalty you saved? What condition was George Best in when you played against him? He was doing great. He was doing well. Our defender said he, he could smell some beer on him when. The, that was fact or fiction, I don't know. But uh, he, he was tearing up our left side of the field. Well, our left back told us, a great player, Don Drake, he played for the US. He said, I, I would whack him if I could, but I can't even whack him. Yeah. <laughs> He's not the only one. I think there's a support group that deals with players who have been turned inside out by George yeah. Best. And yeah. Playing against those players, you can tell that they're a class apart. I mean, they just they used the latent talent that they had, and then worked yeah. and worked and worked. Um, yeah. Or in George yeah. Best's case, imagine what would have happened if he hadn't bedded all those supermodels. Oh gosh, you know he uh, he had the time of his life, and uh, back then there was no breaks on people smoked cigarettes in the players' tunnel. Uh, or when they was inspecting the field uh, before the game. Um, and, you know, drinking was quite common after the game, where nowadays I think it's, that's all curbed, and that's probably very good. Oh, it is. It, it makes them better athletes. I mean, we're just going into the yeah. Euros, and yeah. we're going to see squads of athletes, very few mavericks, which is a bit disappointing. Um, but uh, yeah. some really, unless you call Cristiano Ronaldo a maverick, because of his leap. Are, are there players currently that you like watching, either goalkeepers or outfielders? Uh, well, there's, there's some terrific keepers. 
the young goalkeeper who played for England, what's his name? Um, he, he was at Sunderland. Pickford. And, uh, yeah, he's England's number one yeah, at the moment, yeah. Jordan, Jordan Pickford. Now, when he came on the scene, oh, God, what, what a ray of sunshine. And uh, I know he's, he's had his moments, but fantastic goalkeeper. I've got a lot of respect for him. Uh, I'd like to have thought that I could have got to that level um, or hope to have achieved that level. He could play. The boy could play. could distribute and he's brave. Anticipation, great angles. He's got it all, that fella. There is another England goalkeeper doing very well and he also played in goal for Charlton. I think he may well have played in the game that I watched uh, in 2014. Uh-huh. Nick Pope, who is now, yeah. but for injury, would probably be England's number one over Pickford. Wonderful yeah. goalkeeper as well. Oh, he was my next selection. Um, the guy can can do it as well. He's called as a cucumber. That is one thing you learn. You know, the hotter it gets, the cooler you should be. And uh, you know, there's no punching goalposts when they score. I do see that occasionally, and I think that's so stupid. I like to see composure all the time from a keeper, and and the, the, both of those keepers, they they hold it together pretty well. And they're both, yeah, they're about the only English goalkeepers in the Premier League. Watford have big Ben Foster, who is, yeah. he's dropped down uh, to be second choice at the moment. He couldn't get back in the team. Uh, but he yeah. he has said, yeah, I'm 37. I've got different priorities. I go to work. I do the job. But really, yeah. I'm looking at doing other things. I think he'd quite rather be on, up a mountain somewhere in the peaks, uh, yeah. cycling, which is his main hobby. You may have seen him. Yeah, there comes a point when you've got to hang up your gloves. He's probably seeing that day coming soon. Indeed. But we produce wonderful keepers. There's, there's not too many bad keepers in England, that's for sure. It's, if only they could all get in the team. Dean Henderson at Man U, he's got one of Spain's best keepers ahead of him. Or yeah, Certainly, yeah. De Gea is being paid the GDP of a small island nation to play in goal. <laughs> Um, right. You must, before we talk about your injury, the David Young story is astonishing. This is the game against Preston. Right. Okay. Yeah. What, uh, you want me to tell the story? Of you must have told this story so often that you've chiselled it into a kind of Jerry Seinfeld-esque anecdote where you know all the rhythms come. Yeah. Well, we, we were, at the time, uh, we were losing 1-0 uh, to Preston. And we ended up beating them 3-1. So we were putting a lot of pressure on them at the time on a corner kick. Well, uh, Preston knew this, that we we were throwing everybody up. uh, And uh, they cleared the ball uh, from their side a good 60 yards. And it went over our sweeper, David Young and captain, uh, went over his head. And I knew he was struggling to keep up with their striker. It was a real nifty, like a real sprinter type of player. So I came galloping out of my goal, and it was a little bit of a wet, slippery night. And I did get to the ball uh, to help David out, to, just to wallop it, to hopefully wallop it another 60 yards back down the field. Well, um, I had a slight slip, but I, I still made great contact. And I struck the ball really hard and it hit him right where it hurts between the legs. Rebounded <gasps> off of the between his legs towards the goal. So then he had to chase the ball because my momentum took me forward. He was running towards the goal when I hit him with the soccer ball. Um, 
he realised that he was going into the goal. So he had to sprint back another 25, 20 yards. And he just got back in time, slid the ball off the goal line and slid straight into the goal post and got hit a second time where it hurts. Of which I think just about everybody in the crowd was laughing, uh, including myself. Uh, um, and except David. <laughs> David said, you owe me big. Said so he, he said something like, uh, we get a medal for this game. You, you give me yours, he said. <laughs> Is he still uh, with us? Is he still alive? Yeah, he's up in, in Sunderland, as far as I know. He was uh, uh, into real estate and uh, uh, he was renting, uh, well, purchasing uh, apartments uh-huh. and renting them out. So as far as I know, he's still around. That's smashing. Um, Sam Bartram is no longer with us, and uh, he said something quite nice to you in your testimonial. Charlton have this great lineage of goalkeepers. I can't remember who the number one is at the moment. I'll look it up. Sam Bartram is worth talking about. He is one of the gentlemen. My dad was a Charlton supporter for nearly 50 years, and he told me the story that uh, somebody hit a 25, 30-yarder a screamer that went into the top right-hand corner. Sam Bartram ran out of the goal and shook the guy's hand. Uh, how many goalkeepers would do that nowadays, I wonder? Um, he was a class act. He was a first-class person, I think. Uh, and he looked after himself. And uh, I'd, I'd like to have thought that I, uh, to even got to be mentioned in the same sentence as him uh, was, was thrilling. But to have achieved 600 games, it would have taken me 20 seasons. But I think I could have done that if given the opportunity. Well, allegedly, you could have been on the move to Newcastle. Yes, it looked that way, especially being approached by them. And there was rumours that I was just about to make the under-21 England team as well. So, you know, there was a... I couldn't have, it couldn't have happened at a worse no. time. The, the under-21 for England, would um, Peter Shilton have been a young professional at that time? Irving Day was uh, going to be graduating and Phil Parks, mm-hmm. uh, not the uh, Wolves goal, Phil Parks, QPR. And he, th- those two lads were graduating, so I would have had an opportunity to have been... Uh, the next England under-21 keeper. So there was another guy called Fox. I think he was with, with Sheffield Wednesday. It would have been out of him and I to have made it. But uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen. Uh, I can tell you that Charlton's number one, he was ever present last season in League One, Ben Amos, who right. came through at Man United uh, and uh, has played for various youth levels for England, uh, but got stuck behind everyone and went to Bolton and when Bolton struggled financially got shipped out on loan so uh, I hope you get in touch with him uh, he seems like a much travelled chap, came through the crew youth system and um, we've also got all the politics of the American left which as you can tell have now spun on today, rather than focusing on anything else uh, the, the tabloid papers have led with oh my god they're taking down a picture of the Queen do you sometimes think that you're better off outside of England and the crazy nature of our island? Oh, it's all, it's all down to passion, I think, Johnny. Um, 
we have so much passion for the game and we're, we're quick to judge. We shoot from the hip and the, the media, they don't, there's no prisoners with the media, as you know. They, they, they don't, they're not shy. They say it as it is. So, you know, if you're going to play at the top level, you're going to get bruised. You've got to have a thick skin. Sure, you can be sensitive, but make sure your energies are directed in the right uh, direction because uh, the, you can get down on yourself if you read about yourself too much, you know. Uh, I, I very rarely read a newspaper article or information. Uh, I found it uh, it can be distracting. And you, my, my, my whole theory was keep working hard, son, keep working hard, or you'll go places. I think this could be the dying gasp of the press as something that can affect the England team, because you'll know all about the knee, and I'm not going to rehearse that. But rather than talk about Foden, Mount, Bellingham, Sancho, Rashford, Greenwood, Kane, the most exciting England team for at least 25 years, we're not talking about that. We're talking about various white people upset that some black people are taking a knee, which, of course, we remember Colin Kaepernick lost his career because of it. Yes, it is. well, a very brave guy. I mean, uh, when we were at Charlton back in the 70s, Ben Odigi, I don't know if you know him. No, I don't. Uh, he, he played for the England uh, under 16, I think it was under 15, and he was a black guy. And uh, they reckoned that because he was black, that he didn't progress. Well, in reality, if he had, if he progressed, he would have played for England. He would have played for Charlton. But he was a superstar as a young lad. Um, I mean, when he was 12, 13 years old, he had a moustache. You know, he looked older than his time. A very mature lad. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was unfortunate that uh, he didn't progress far enough to go pro. But, you know, there's, there's lots of excuses players have to, for not making the grade. And I hope that's not one of them. Race and racism. It's it's crazy. I thought it was done and dusted. I thought it was out of the way, but obviously not. Um, and I know all about that because I, you know, I suffered it in South Africa enough mm-hmm. uh, with what they did to to certain people while I was there. It was abysmal. It doesn't do any good, and we need to move on now, especially because most people are behind a screen. And that's yeah. kind of, you can't be black or white behind a screen. And yet, because we've been judged by pigmentation yeah. for all these centuries, it's still going on. But uh, Ricky yeah. Hill's written a brilliant book, which, and, and I imagine you've run into Ricky on the circuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's all these people, uh, it's the right time to, to be brave and write what you feel. And if you've been treated poorly or got some suggestions, great. There's, a, there's also there's a book called Pitch Black that a, a professor called Emmy Anora wrote, and it was just so disheartening to read it that he sets out all the racism of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and today, and then the conclusion is, what are you going to do? And unfortunately, now is the time to do. We're just speaking after the anniversary of the murder of an innocent man who was captured on film. Uh, this murder would have gone unremarked, but for it was on film, and it seems like it's a Rodney King moment. Tell me what right. happened after Rodney King. Nothing. Yeah, well, it's, it's all happening here now. Um, I mean, 
I would not want to be a policeman out there now because, uh, and it's it's sad as well, it's, uh, because the people that they are, they're trying to arrest, are trying to arrest, are not listening. When a policeman says stop, stop. Why they want to drive off, I don't know because it don't make sense because mm. they've got helicopters following you and a dozen police cars as well. So that's what they've got to look at, you know, uh, is to respect the police and when they say stop, stop. Yes. If you run, you've you got, got, I don't know, nobody deserves to be shot, but that's what they're doing. So um, something's to be done. Every year this gets more and more coverage, but June the, is it the 18th or the 19th was the day that slavery was abolished in America, the emancipation, uh, and we've just had the centenary of the Tulsa race massacre that I'm sure you knew about. Yeah, this is not oh, news God. to you. News to me. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't know much about it until they really told us what happened. And uh, I mean, they just burned basically a village down or a small a city, city down yeah. the high street and everything. I mean, it, uh, schools... Uh, I mean, how how cruel can a person be or people can be? Um, it's very sad, very mm-hmm. sad. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, I think we're heading to sunnier days with being honest and facing the facts and being brave with it all and, uh, you know, putting embarrassing these people that uh, do say the wrong thing. Politically, if they're, uh, if they're not correct... They're straightened up pretty quickly nowadays. Yeah. And of course, I haven't even mentioned the 45th president because I imagine you're sick of it. Uh, everyone you talk about is sick of it, even though this is a, a very red state. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I was at first, I was hoping Donald Trump would win because I thought it would be entertaining. Yeah, that's what I, I started out thinking. I would watch Stephen Colbert at the top of 2015 and think, OK, this is a diversion that Hillary's going to yeah, win or Jeb Bush is going to win. <laughs> You're right, Johnny. You, you, know, you just thought, this would be refreshing. And I didn't realise how much trouble, how many people he has hurt. I mean, I reckon three, 400,000 people would not have died of COVID if he put a mask on in January, February of last year. And, of course, all the Trumpers followed, followed suit and uh, said they didn't need us you know, a mask, and it was very, I think he done a lot of damage, especially uh, when they marched on the Capitol January 6th. That was, that was horrendous. And I hope he don't get off. I hope they put him in prison, because that's where he deserves to be. Well, we'll see what the land of the free and the home of the braves (laughs) has to say. Uh, This show will go out uh, the week before Independence Day. Do you have plans for an Independence Day barbecue? Isn't that what Joe Biden wanted? Everyone to be out on the July 4th weekend? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we always do something 4th of July. We say, I, I tell the American people, that's the day we let you win. Uh, and we normally have a big barbecue and invite a bunch of people over and play some butchy ball and some games here. Yeah, it's a big celebration day. And do you go in goal and start yelling at people and saying, taxi? <laughs> I like that. You know, I, I think since our boys have left uh, left home now, we had at one stage I counted, there was 32 different types of soccer balls we had around the back garden. That tells you how many, 
you know, shots we would have at goal. Those were fun days. You know, scream at somebody, taxi, that means you'll go and get it. Or call a taxi and they'll get it. We're coming to the time where we have to mention the injury, but again, it's all there in black and white, clear as crystal, in Never Give Up, the Buster Graham Tut story. And I'm sure you'll be giving a lot of interviews where you'll talk about that. Uh, but I'm more interested in the Action Soccer League. You went to the American equivalent of Dragon's Den, um, and this is a co-ed indoor soccer league. Uh, what did the Sharks say? I, sh- I guess the clip is on YouTube. Well, the, the, the escort, the, um, uh, the, what they call it, the preceding before I went to Shark Tank, you got to send in the video. And that was the video you'll see if you uh, Google my name uh, and Shark Tank. Uh, it will, there will, two videos will come up. They asked for a second one um, for me to be more detailed um, about uh, or mention more about my background and also mention the Sharks name by name. They wanted that because I believe that the, there's five Sharks there. I believe all five will want a franchise once I've got 25 to 30 teams already signed up. Um, at the moment, I've got five or six teams and they're, they're looking good. But I, I want to take 30 people into the Shark Tank and say, here's, here's 30 teams. We need another five or six because the goal is to have six uh, groups of six teams because America's so big. Yes, it's like baseball. You have the, yes, precisely, like the East and the Western divisions, yeah. Yeah, you can't go from uh, LA to New York in two hours, you know. No, not (laughs) anymore. And and the the thought being would be it's a regional slash international league, you know, where you have the playoffs on two or two weekends right at the end of the season. And that way the game will survive financially. The owners won't get despondent and they'll you know, if we average four or five thousand a game, they're making money. Mm-hmm. And it's up to the it's up to you to make the product as good as possible yeah. in the way that the Premier League product is mm, maybe the Correct. championship's a better product. <laughs> well, the thing is uh, three men and three women on the same team is totally, totally different. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, oh, it's gimmicky. Well, it may be gimmicky, but it embraces the husband, the wife, the son and the daughter. The whole family can be cheering on a female or male player. It's no different to uh, softball. Pick up softball. Right. Yeah. 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 I, can see it. I can see it happening. I just have to find the right investors uh, who have got that vision as well. Uh, and see it happening. My brother is uh, works for an investor. He's more kind of uh, objects like bikes, and I, he's been working with Walgreens recently. But maybe I'll yeah. I'll show him the video. I say I've spoken to this guy. Uh, he once played yeah. for Charlton Athletic, and he was better than Shelton. Yeah. They said. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah uh, I... The the most surreal moment of all about this eye injury that you can see on the cover of the book. It's you on a stretcher is that match of the day comes on in this hospital in Sunderland. You describe yourself as an animal, slaughtered animal hanging on a meat hook. Yeah. And match of the day comes on and you hear voices going, oh, tell him he's on the telly. And yeah. that's not what you need after almost collapsing and fainting. 
was uh, in the maternity ward as well. That's even more amazing. (laughs) And uh, they they ran out of beds for me, so they stuck me at at the bottom of the maternity ward. And, yeah, it it wasn't fun hearing the game going on, and I asked them to to, uh, turn it down a bit. Didn't want to relive it at that moment. Well, and you suffered. Well, depression is what it was diagnosed as. But would it not become PTSD? You had a stress disorder. Yeah, nobody knew back then yeah. what what was going on. You know, you just just felt sad all the time. That was the, the deal. And after a year or so of that, you, you know, you got to pull yourself up and get yourself together. And uh, what am I going to do? You know, I can't give up. I can't lay down and and let the world go by. And uh, that was when I decided uh, to start um, looking around, you know, what, I, what else can I do? Well, yeah, um, even though one of the eyes was bad. Is there still a problem with it, or have you got twenty twenty vision again? The muscles in my right eye, they're ruptured, so when I look straight on at somebody, that's no problem. But if I look at them with my head tilted down, just a few degrees that there's uh, the eye gets locked mm. and the other one is still looking at you so therefore double vision so i've still got double vision right. and uh, i've learned to live with it you you tend to be a, a bit of a wimbledon fan i call it where you move your head back and forth rather than move your eyes and uh, use mm-hmm. peripheral vision and just uh, to just to say how bad it was, page 135, you take the pad off your um, eye. It was like looking through the slit of a post box. I felt several stitches across my upper eyelid. I moved my head very slowly up and then down while staring yeah. into the mirror and immediately yeah. became dizzy. I know uh, someone who has become a world-renowned photographer. They couldn't explain what was wrong with him, but it was a, 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 something that knocked his hearing and thus his balance. And he had to go to Ann Arbor for a long time. Um, whereas right. the, the physio that you had, I mean, you, you couldn't play football for 18 months and there's the really sad story of you trying to get back to training and being told yeah. by Andy Voldemort uh, that you were effectively a lame horse. And this is the man who walked in to see you unconscious and said, well, can you play the second half? Yeah, yeah, amazing, isn't it? Oh, Absolutely. Again, the, the, the facts are there. The facts are there. We can only judge. Yeah, right. I mean, it was just cold. It was just that was the way he worked, and I suppose he, he felt it was the best way for him. Uh, but coaching or ruling by fear, uh, I learned you, you cannot do or be that way. You got to have some love in your heart. Yeah. You you got to care for your players. You know they're suffering. You're suffering. You know that was the disappointing part. But that, you know that was the cross section of people he had to deal with back in those days. Rough and tough. Mm-hmm. Although you should have, uh, when Graham Taylor passed away, I realised that maybe we should all live like Graham Taylor. And it, it seemed yeah. because of the outpouring for Theo, just the, the love for Theo Foley means that maybe you should live a bit Theo as well. It's also just occurred to me, and this is my kind of Jerry Springer final thought. <laughs> if you right. worked with an American writer, a lot yeah. more would have been dealt with about the yeah. catharsis of... Finding Tom Finney, uh, and perhaps you would actually have told us what the words would have been exchanged between you. You referenced John Lewis and the forgiveness 
um, yeah. of the, the civil rights, people who didn't like the civil rights movement. Uh, and John Lewis passed away recently and unanimously loved as a figure of all that was decent with the world. And so you, you have your John Lewis moment, you find Tom Finney. It's a bit of the end of Lost in Translation because uh, we, we don't know what you said, but it was everything I could have hoped for, a sincere and genuine response from a true gentleman. Did you exchange Christmas cards last year? <laughs> no, no. In fact, we've only been in touch with each just before we went to print mm-hmm. on the book. We wrote that last chapter. I mean, I'm talking about a week before we heard from him. Uh, and, uh, and it was suggested by uh, Matt's wife, Lisa. Why don't he just contact him, you know, put a closure on this thing? And I've been thinking about this for like two or three years. It's been hovering over me. And I thought, why not? Well, you know, if John Lewis can forgive the state trooper that gave him a fractured skull, uh, and, and he forgive him personally one on one. He went to see him. I thought I need to do this. Yeah, and, and of like, course you you will know about Desmond Tutu and the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, which is even more absurd right. that he managed to get apologies out of various apartheid yeah, and anti-apartheid. I, I, yes, yeah. I, I think there's so much strength in that, rather than going sour-faced with the whole deal. Uh, and you do more damage to yourself, and it picks yourself up as well. It helps you pick yourself up. Uh, because I had this dark cloud in the back of my head for probably 40 years, and until I, I realised I've got to forgive and forget and go forward. I've got so much to be grateful for. I've got a wonderful wife and great boys, and lifestyle in America has been good to me. So everything turned out for the best. It didn't feel that way at the time, really. Uh, you are in the land of Oprah Winfrey, and I think Oprah would find something out of this book. Never give up, the Graham Buster Tut story. Laugh out loud, funny and heartachingly sad. This is the pump. It speaks not just to athletes, but to anyone who has suffered a major setback in their life. So you're well into your third act now. Uh, you've had right. the rise and the fall and the redemption, but this third act has lasted years about 50 yeah. years. What else is, what mountains are left to climb apart from the Action Soccer League? Yeah, well, for sure, that's going to be uh, a big cake to eat, uh, you know, trying to get 36 investors uh, under one roof and then to control the league, you've got to have some very special people around you. Yeah. So that's going to take me the next year or two. My wife has just retired. Uh, she was a soccer coach for, a head ladies coach for 35 years and a uh, school teacher, PE teacher for 37 years. So my list with her is growing, the honey-do list, they call it, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, between that and the league, uh, I think I'm going to be still pretty busy. We'll, we'll probably move to the mountains. We're, we're tired of traffic. Atlanta's got tremendous traffic here. Uh, uh, and we love the place. But we enjoy the mountains a little bit better and going trout fishing. And, uh-huh. uh, Country and, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I want to be a Beverly Hillbilly, that's for sure. Very good. Have a, have a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> not a lame, not a kind of lame donkey as well. I'm, I'm well into country music, so I know, a lot, especially the Texas and the Nashville scenes, but what they do up in Appalachia. Um, yeah. 
is is yeah. that's where near where blue and Kentucky, where bluegrass is from. Um, I'd yeah. love to have a look around. Atlanta is more to do with rock, isn't it? There's a band, in fact, the band Blackberry Smoke, a number one in the country charts uh, over uh, here, and they are from Atlanta. And so I well, I need to listen to their album, but they make southern rock music, just beautiful southern rock music. There's some beautiful places in, in the Appalachian Mountains, and you do feel like you're away from it all, and it's it's great to get unplugged and. Uh, uh-huh to be standing in a, uh, a trout stream and not see anybody all day. That, that, that's peaceful. Yeah. You're not in broccoli anymore. <laughs> no, no buses. You know, buses used to rattle our front door. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and i never forget that. The glass would shake and uh, the, the door knocker would, would rattle. Oof. And uh, so you remember those days when, you know... We, I was very fortunate to have a tough, uh, an upbringing the way it, it was tough, but it, I was very fortunate to have loving parents and great sister and brother. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, it, it's, fun, it's funny, the rougher it, if it, as, as rough as it was, we knew we were safe and we were loved and we, we cared about each other. And that's, that's what counts. And you've spent your life being a Theo Foley type leader and... I've got one piece of advice for you, Buster. Yes, Never please. give up. Ah, I love it. I think I'll take that advice. Please do. You could use it as the title of your new book, which is out now on pitch. Price £20. You could probably get it cheaper uh, if you know someone. But uh, Never Give Up. Uh, written with Matt Eastley. And I have now ticked Charlton Athletic off my list. So I'm, I'm trying to read the 92. And so uh, it's delightful that I can actually speak to my third professional uh, I spoke to George Scott as well, who wrote a book oh, called The Lost oh, Shankly Boys. Oh, boy. That was good. Uh, well, Johnny, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you. And thank you for having me on. And uh, I, hope, uh, I hope our paths will cross in the near future. I, I hope so. To, I'll be over there sometime doing a book signing. So, Charlton. Oh, fantastic. So, oh, well, I'm at Watford's and Charlton aren't far away. It's an hour train. So I will get it signed. So hopefully, we're playing, hopefully we're playing against Watford or something. Oh, well, yes, and it will be in the Premier League. With the ownership that you've got, the sky is the limit. I love it.